Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guest by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlets and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Marnie, and I'm so excited to have you along this afternoon for a training called The Reluctant Leader, How to Boldly Step into God's Next Position for You. During the next hour, you are going to discover why God loves to use reluctant leaders, three powerful characteristics of reluctant leaders, a biblical role model for the reluctant leader, the most powerful place of transformation, three steps that will help you boldly move into God's next position for you, the power of embracing you just the way you are, five strategies to help you launch other reluctant leaders, and a proven tool for leadership training. Our guest today, Lynn Marie Cherry, is a speaker and author of Keep Walking, 40 Days to Hope and Freedom After Betrayal. She works at Shoreline Church in Austin, Texas, where she reluctantly leads an incredible group of volunteers. And you can learn more about her over at her website, which is www.lynnmariecherry.com. Welcome to you, Lynn. Oh, it's great to be here, Marnie. Well, and I'm so excited to have you, and this is such a great topic. Uh, there's so much to learn when you're a leader or when you've been put into that position, and a lot of it is learned by hard knocks. I'm hoping today that we can shed some light uh, for new leaders or um, yes. just growing leaders to save them some of the subtoes that uh, that are avoidable if somebody would have just told you that when you were going in. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, when we were talking before we came on live here, we were talking about how in the Bible, you know, there's so many examples of people that God really literally thrust into the limelight of leadership. And, and of course, I mean, probably foremost is, is Moses. We all think of him. Right. Because he yeah. was so verbal about his reluctance. He's like, not me. Yeah. I'm sure you're wrong. You know, but there's others too. And, you know, why do you think God loves so much to use reluctant leaders? I just think God likes to surprise us. You know, he acts so countercultural or, or just count, counter to what we would think would make the most possible sense. And, you know, I think of 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28, God chose things in the world that the world considered foolish to shame those who think they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, counted as nothing, to use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. You know, that's just, it's just what he does sometimes. And I think he also likes that surprise factor. Mm. I actually memorized those those, those verses um, probably just a year or two ago hmm. because I felt so inadequate myself. I felt really like, why? I don't understand how come I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I felt really inadequate. And God just showed me in my prayer time. I was like, you've got to talk to me. He took me to these verses. And oh. I just laughed out loud. I was like, wait, 
I'm that. I'm foolish and I'm powerless and I, I'm sometimes, you know, looked down upon because I'm not, you know, the perfect cookie cutter girl, you know, the Stepford Wife type right. person. And, yeah. and it's like, oh, I see. You actually, uh, this is actually part of the plan. It and is. so I, I, it was really actually very comforting for me mm-hmm. to think of myself as foolish, powerless, and despised because God sees me different. And I think that that's like the whole message for you reluctant leaders out there is that (laughs) God is not judging you the same way you're judging you or the same way maybe other people are judging you. Just speak to that for a moment. Yeah, so good. I just think, um, too, we'll see when we get to our biblical example that what we, the way we perceive ourselves is sometimes just so far from what God sees because God sees who he created us to be. Well, that's huge. And and it's like um, just on Sunday, our pastor was talking about the story of Joseph. And, you know, when we read these stories in the Bible, you know, we have this perspective that they also knew the ending while they were living it, but they didn't. They had to, you know, Joseph for all he knew, would be a slave or would be in prison for the rest of his life, you know, for all he knew. And so he had to just make these choices based on sheer faith and faithfulness versus on any kind of expectation that Mm -hmm. God was going to, you know, swoop in and do something different. So I think that when we're looking at our lives, God sees the final chapter. He sees the whole thing, whereas we just see today. And that can be really, it can be really daunting uh, to not be able to see the future, to just be able to see today, especially when things aren't going well, especially during the hard times. So let's talk sure. about three powerful characteristics of reluctant leaders. Yeah. Well, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is reluctant leaders are encouraging. I think they're great cheerleaders, and they excel at celebrating what other people are doing because unlike those natural born drivers and the people like waving their arms saying, Hey, put me in charge. (laughs) Reluctant leaders uh, are just grateful uh, and they don't see any aspect of competition in leadership. Um, They just genuinely want to see people reach their goals and achieve their potential. And it doesn't matter who gets there first. So they're great cheerleaders, great encouragers. And then I think reluctant leaders tend to be very servant-hearted. They're thinking about the needs of others. They're compassionate and sensitive. Um, You know, they didn't campaign to be in the position. So they're not (laughs) going to demand, like they won't demand anyone's respect of their authority. You know, they typically, what I see with reluctant leaders is they're rising to the occasion because there's an empty space that needs to be filled. There's a gap. Uh, There's a need. And so they're like, well, I guess if nobody else is going to do it, then I can. Um, You know, Mm. they may be slow to embrace that leadership role, but there's a heart and a willingness to serve that comes with that uh, type of leadership. And then the third thing is that they are great delegators. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no drive for personal glory. You know, and a lot of times I think a reluctant leader is like, hey, if anyone else wants to have this leadership role, they can have it. <laughs> so even with, with that mindset, they're very quick to share opportunities. And they're also good at, like, encouraging other people who hesitate. Like, hey, you know, if I can do it, you can do it, too. I love that. I was thinking about that delegating thing, too. It's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I've been teaching leadership for how many years? But 
uh, I have never really put together this reluctant leadership thing, but that's me. <laughs> that's so funny. So you're describing you're describing how I lead right here, which is I'm I always tell people I'm really not built to be the leader who's gonna just come behind and spank you all the time. You have to do a good job so that I can cheer for you because that's what I do well. I am not the person who likes to beat you up. I'm the person who likes to cheer. When I walk in the door and see something you did, I want to go, wow, thanks for doing that. You know, and I tell my people that, but I never realized, Lynn, that that was partly because I've been put into positions of leadership that were so far over my head that were just like clearly you know, clearly, mm-hmm. this, I can't do this. Another thing that um, isn't in your list that I see in myself, and I'm wondering if you see this in other reluctant leaders too, is a real eagerness to learn and understand. Because, like for me, I've just been thrown into the deep end of the pool multiple times, where it's either dog paddle until I learn how to do a stroke, <laughs> or else it's just drown, you know? <laughs> That's my only right? thing I so um, do you see that in other reluctant leaders or is that maybe possibly just uniquely for me? Oh, I think that that's a great, a great trend. Um, and, and just also I think reluctant leaders come in with that awareness of I don't have it all together. And um, I really am totally depending on God in this. And yet in that moment, God is totally going to to equip you. And so I think maybe that passion for learning and um, mm. building and growing yourself, that's a gift that comes from God because he placed you in that position and he's going to equip you. Hmm. Yeah, I love it, that, that word total dependence. I know several years ago that was my word, my two words for the year. And when, mm. I, when I pick words, I, I, I plaster them everywhere. They're on my microwave, they're on my computer, they're on my dash in my car, <laughs> they're on my mirror in the bathroom, they're everywhere. I just put this all everywhere and I just think about it and think about it and think mm. about it. And my words for a couple years ago were total dependence, just total mm. dependence. And it's such a wonderful place to live, especially when you're doing something that is so far beyond your ability to do. And it's, right. just, such a, uh, it's just such a freeing concept exactly. that I can be totally dependent instead of totally awesome all by myself, <laughs> which just is overwhelming and terrifying and impossible and, right. not, and then, not very fulfilling at the end of the day. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is that God gets all the glory. You know, Which is really you know, what he wants. <laughs> exactly, he does. Mm-hmm. If we went back to that first point, why God loves to use reluctant leaders, I honestly think that's why. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. he he loves to use the person who, you know, when they when they win the award or when they cross the finish line or whatever it yeah. is that he's asking them to do, they just drop to their knees and say, "It's all you. It's all you." I, right. you know. Right. I, I, even, I even think a lot of times I, I say right to him, and I started this way back, um, oh, man, 25 years ago when I started a girls' club 20 years ago. And um, mm. I, I, remember, I remember he had put the idea in my head. He had orchestrated everything uh, to getting a yes from my husband to having get girls want to come and all of this. And I remember uh, one of the very first days of club, it was 3 o'clock, and everybody who we had set up stuff to do with that day had called and canceled, and the girls were going to be arriving on the bus any minute to, wow. you know, up to 12, 12 girls to spend two and a half hours in my home, and I had nothing for them to do. And oh, no. I remember, I, 
I frantically did everything that I normally would do, which would be to try to fix it myself. And I, mm-hmm. I quickly hit the wall, every, everything like that. And I remember I was down in my laundry room. I remember being so frustrated, Lynn, that I actually slammed the phone down. I slammed my hands onto the counter. I looked straight up and I said, well, this was your idea and you're <laughs> going to have to do something about it. <laughs> but yes. that was exactly where God wanted me to be, where he would take care of everything. And what the purpose of this club was to do was to provide meals for families in need. And so I went upstairs, and I was scared, and I counted as the girls got off the bus, and there were 12 of them. And I'm like, oh, God, you know. (laughs) And they came in, and I gave them the snack I'd prepared and then, you know, kind of greeted them a little bit. And then I said, well, you know, we had all this stuff to do today, but it all fell through. And so I don't know what we're going to do today. We have food to make, but we don't have anybody to give it to. And one of the girls said, well, one of my teachers at school had back surgery, and she's not back to school yet. Maybe we could check with her. And I said, sure, yeah. do you know how to contact her? Another girl said, there's a lady in my church that just had a baby. I said, sure, let's oh. contact. You know, and that's what God does yeah. when we just lay it all down and say, it's not even my problem. It wasn't even my idea. But I do mm-hmm. have the opportunity to pray right now and to trust. And then he comes yeah. through in amazing ways. But, <laughs> I mean, you can't really explain or plan that. And so he, no. he just gets all the glory. And that's what he always wants. Well, this is Marty. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about a biblical role model for the reluctant leader as well as the most powerful place of transformation. We'll be right back. Leaders across America rely on womensevents.info to find the major Christian women's events coming to their area. Womensevents.info is the only online directory of its kind featuring all the upcoming major Christian women's events. You are invited to search for events coming near you or to add your own major Christian women's events. Everything's easy and accessible over at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we're visiting today with our guest, Lynn Cherry. Of her website is Lynn Marie Cherry, and you spell her name L Y N N. Lynn Marie Cherry, and just like the fruit cherry. Lynn, thanks for joining us. And let's go ahead and talk about a biblical role model for a reluctant leader. Well, there are several, but today we're going to focus on Gideon. And you'll find his story in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. You know, it's probably a familiar story to anyone who um, has ever gone to Sunday school. Um, It's a great story. And, you know, in the beginning, God is calling Gideon ultimately to step up and lead and to bring freedom to the people. Um, And the first thing he does is list all of his disqualifications. You know, he responds (laughs) in, yeah, we do that, don't we? Yeah, he responds in Judges chapter 6, verse 15. He's like, my clan, like my family is the weakest and I am the least. Like, not only are we the bottom of the barrel, but I'm like the dregs. <laughs> and that is, that's his perception of himself. You know, God is asking him to step into this leadership role, to take on this new position of, of authority. Um, and he's a great source of inspiration for anyone who... Maybe God is challenging you to try something new or to um, trust him with an opportunity. Um, We can learn a lot from Gideon. I love the story of Gideon because he uses fleets um, 
to mm-hmm. clarify things. He does. And, you know, some people, some people really say, you know, you shouldn't do that. But I don't see God ever reprimanding him for exactly, asking for yeah. pleas or signs or, you know, I mean, God, what God's asking him to do is completely, insanely ludicrous. I mean, it's like <laughs> no one in their right mind, a war plan uh, would work. You know, it's not right. going to work. You're all going to die, and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> Um, but but Gideon actually does it, and I think that that's the bottom line. And whatever mm-hmm. it takes for you to get to the point of peace, God already knows that ahead of time. And I mean, with Moses, He gave Moses signs too. Mm-hmm. He did, and you know you're right. He doesn't reprimand him. And when Gideon asks for confirmation, God gives it. Yeah, I love what you just I, said. And um, Judges six twenty four, you know, after he gets. He has this encounter with God and, you know, it kind of scares him. And then the Lord says, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And verse 24, it says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Mm. Such a great, a great place to stay is that, that, or find that place of peace and knowing, you know, God is with you. (laughs) When you say that, just this morning, I was, uh, when I get dressed physically in the day, I also put on my spiritual armor. And so when I was tying on my tennis shoes and t- tying on my shoes a piece, I remember this morning just thinking, God, this peace thing has become mm-hmm. so important to me. I just can't fathom living through this, you know, this life without having God's peace. And the peace doesn't come because everything's perfect. The right. peace comes because God's in control. Yes. Yeah, that's the best kind of peace. That's the only peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the only peace that passes comprehension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's the kind of there's the kind of peace that you have when when it's smooth sailing, but right. the kind of peace that the tested peace is when you know it's a raging sea and you think you're going to die, and <laughs> and how do you sleep like Jesus? How do you sleep in the boat at that yeah. moment? And then you know when when people around you are panicking, he just says, "Oh, good grief!" You know. <laughs> Where is right, your just faith? Me. Come on, guys. I know. Yeah. Trust I, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about the story of I think about the story of Gideon too, because um, God did ask him to do insane uh, things. He really did, and and even when it started out seeming relatively insane, he kept stripping away more and more yeah. of the things that Gideon would kind of depend on, other than God. Right. And right. I, I see that in my life, too, and I'm sure you do, too, where God continues to strip away the things that you used to rely on, um, right. you know, as a fallback plan. My fallback yes. plans here, you know, and, and God does like to do that, too. Mm-hmm. He wants us He wants us to be relying on him and those things that become familiar that we can put our confidence in. Yeah, you know, sometimes they have a way of slipping through our fingers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some people say that that's because you don't have enough faith, but I liked how Oswald Chambers um, described it. He said, God, God allowing you to walk through a period of blackness where you can't see anything. You like just have to trust that God loves you and that he's going to take yeah. care of you because you can't see. Or that is, that is the greatest place of God trusting a leader. That is mm-hmm. actually a compliment from God saying, I trust you to hang on to me. Like with Job, I trust you to exactly. hang on to me during this long period of silence where I'm right. just going to let you sit in your faith with nothing to prove. 
that I love you other than your face to believe it, you know, and who wants to be there? Nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be there, there, but, but it is transformative, you know, and I think you don't see it sometimes in the middle of that dark place, but then you get hindsight on the other end of that journey and you realize who I am today is not who I was when this challenge and this darkness started. So it's amazing. That actually makes me cry because I think back mm-hmm. to the times when it has been so black and so, you know, just by faith. You just walk it out by faith. And how you really truly are a different person when you come through that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. so grateful to not be the girl that I I was you know, 10 years ago. You know, I've learned so much and, and I learned it because I had to. And because I was desperate and because I, I needed I needed a savior on a daily basis. Not just mm-hmm. that one time I'm raising right. my hand at church, but you know, <laughs> I needed a savior every day. Right. Right. And um so great to, to be on the other side of that and to look back and see how God was faithful and how he was developing my character and how he was shaping me and um fine-tuning some things in my life all along. I know that you have a personal story where God did a tremendous amount of transformation in your own life, um, and, and your book talks about that, Keep Walking, yes. 40 Days to Hope and Freedom After Betrayal, maybe just in like three to five minutes. Can you just give us a small uh, small testimony of that right here, right now? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's the book that you – Nobody wants to have to, to be qualified to write. <laughs> uh, it's, and nobody it's, ever wants to have to read. <laughs> and, exactly. Um, but, you know, when you, when you find yourself in that place, you're so glad it's there. And so that's the book that I wrote. And it really comes out of uh, my marriage. I was married to my husband and just early on in the marriage felt like something wasn't quite right, but chose denial and chose hiding and pretending and did that for many years. You know, eventually I came face to face with his use of pornography. Um, And then still in that moment when that thing that wasn't quite right is right in front of my eyes, I chose denial. And for four years continued to pretend um, and just really in fear of like, I, I, you know, I don't know what to do with that. And I don't want anyone else to know and feeling ashamed and, you know, finally just ended up a very angry, uh, angry woman. You know, I, I joke that I was the walking dead before zombies were cool. You know, that was me just existing <laughs> yeah. and shuffling through life. And so finally, you know, um, somehow got the courage really through another woman's story to confront my husband and to say, I don't like who I'm becoming. I can't live this angry life and I need help and we need help. And so grateful because when I did confront my husband, I'm like, I wouldn't say he was like thrilled, like, Hey, yeah, let's deal with this problem. But he also wanted freedom. And so he and I went together to counseling and we went through 48 weeks of therapy Um, And he really found the tools that he needed to break free from sexual addiction. Now, it had been something that was in his life when he was seven years old. So Mm -hmm. he um, found a way to protect himself, to put safeguards in place, to use accountability. And he broke that habit pattern in his life. 
but honestly coming out of pretending and denial was brutal for me and just hard to get out of bed, you know, to face the reality of that when I had pretended about it for so long. So my book really is the scriptures and the promises and the stories that God used to help me just take one day at a time, one step at a time, and to find my way through that darkness. Um, and he really did restore my soul. Hmm. Sometimes, Sometimes it is, it is those kind those of things, things that are that the are the deep, deep uh, places of transformation. Sometimes it's Sometimes pinnacles. It's Sometimes it's the high places. Right. Yeah. I'm going to pause for just a moment. Sure. Is Lynn? Is it possible that you have a a second um, sound system going there? No. I was getting a lot of feedback here. Okay. Okay. Hmm. There's a lot of echo going on. Hopefully, you listeners aren't hearing that. Um, I'll try to adjust something here. Anyway, sometimes it's points of pinnacles that are the highest, the big transformation point. I remember one for me was I was on, I was waiting to go on to television on a home show, and right before me was Martha Stewart. And um, I was sitting there watching her, and for some reason that day, this is years ago, and for some reason that day, she looked really tired. She just looked mm. really tired and sick of it all. And I remember sitting there looking at her thinking, Right, because in the end, it's all just work to do. Mm. You know, I mean, that's what that's what Solomon wrote about. He wrote about, you know, right, he tried right. everything that looked wonderful and exciting and, you know, all this. And in the end, it was just so much work to do, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're going to die. <laughs> so, well, you know, God uses all kinds of things in our lives to strip away our sense of ind- independence from him, our sense of being able to do it without him, of even mm-hmm. wanting to do it without him. And whether, you know, you're in a situation like you were in, uh, you know, I've definitely been in situations like that myself, or whether it's a high that all of a sudden you realize, you know, I'm here now, and it isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all points at which to reach out to Christ. Lynn, from your personal experience, and then I'll follow up with this, but was, from your personal experience, going through a time like that, how did that change your relationship with God permanently? Like what changed well, I, when I look back at that journey and how I related to God, you know, I had always, God seemed very safe to me in my childhood. Uh, and, you know, if I just would do right, then God would bless me. Um, it was Christian karma, you know, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And so here I found myself in this pain and thought, where is God? Like, I don't deserve this. Mm. Uh, this this isn't my fault. This wasn't my choice. Like I would have never signed up for that. Um, And then, you know, realizing that God had a bigger plan. I remember uh, finding this little nugget in the Chronicles of Narnia. I had asked my mom, like, can you get the Chronicles of Narnia for the boys? And she's like, I don't think they're old enough. And then I'm like, okay, mom, I really want it for me. (laughs) So (laughs) the boys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I was reading it and just, uh, you know, when the kids hear about Aslan, Lucy says, is he safe? And the Mr. Mr. Beaver answered, you know, no, he's not safe, but he is good. And so just grabbing a hold of that in my theology and theology and thinking God is not predictable. He's not safe, but Everything that happens in my life, he is able to use it for my good, 
for his good and for his glory. And so the God of my childhood was so small and safe. And through this experience, I think God just grew and um, he became even more mysterious, uh, even, even, you know, bigger and more powerful than I could have ever imagined. So it really transformed my theology. Oh, but I love what C.S. Lewis. Sorry, I love what C.S. Lewis says about pain. That that is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so, you know, I see that in my story. That I was I was okay going through the motions, and I got really good at pretending. But ultimately, that pain is what woke me up to life. Hmm. What you were saying earlier reminded me of um, in the book Sacred Romance by John Eldridge um, that it, he says that God, that one of Satan's favorite lies is that God is not as good as he says he is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, and he's just always hammering away at that with us, that God is not as good as he says he is. And so mm-hmm. it's so fun for us to go through periods of time that God is stripping away things that that feels very bad. But then to see him come through at the end and be victorious in our lives. And some people don't actually get to see that until heaven. I mean, he was loving right. about that. Some people right. really have to wait and hold on all the way until they see Jesus face to face to understand what he was doing there. But mm-hmm. I have this saying I adopted several years ago that I want to, in this moment, I want to be as grateful to God as I will be when I see Jesus face to face and I come into comprehension of what he was doing right here, right now, to protect and provide for me. Because oftentimes in the moment we can't see that. But at some point we will see it. And I know I'll just be flat out, sorry, sorry, sorry. And so (laughs) I decided, you know what, instead of being flat out, sorry, 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 then I'm just going to choose that right now and start practicing that kind of gratitude in the moment, even if I can't see it. (laughs) Oh, that's powerful. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. What a great perspective. Mm. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Lynn Cherry of LynnMarieCherry.com. We're going to come back and talk about three steps that will help you boldly move into God's next position for you, as well as the power of embracing you just the way you are. Do you ever need a guest speaker? Or maybe you're a speaker who's available to go. Check out WomenSpeakers.com the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world since 2002. Connecting thousands of planners with over 1,300 speakers, speakers are available to you from every state, denomination, experience level, and fee range. You simply search when you have time, anytime, day or night, and connect directly with the speakers that interest you. No middlemen, no hidden fees. It's all simple, easy, enjoyable, and online. Check it out today at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we are having a great time today with our guest, Lynn Sherry. And she's actually one of our speakers over at womenspeakers.com. And so am I. So if you are looking for a speaker, be sure to check out womenspeakers.com. All right, Lynn, we are going to talk next about three steps that will help anyone move into God's next position for them. So what is step number one? Okay, step number one is discover the resources and tools that you already have. And, of course, this is inspired by Gideon. And when we first find him, he is hiding in the wine press. He is just trying to eke out an existence. You know, I really believe that in that place of hiding, he was blind. 
to what he had. You know, he said, I'm, I'm the weakest and, and I'm, and the message Bible says, I'm the runt of the litter. Um, I am nothing. I come from nothing. I have nothing. Like he really believed that about himself. He had no idea who he was or what he was capable of. But, you know, I was reading and studying his story and about the fourth time through, I realized that his assessment of reality was a little bit different than what is actually going on. And, you know, in the story, if you remember, Israel is under Midian oppression and they've been oppressed for seven years. And every year after they've planted their crops, Midian comes in and they just wipe it all out. They destroy it. But in verse 19, when we're reading about Gideon, we find he has a goat for the offering. He also makes unleavened bread. And, you know, it says that there's an ephah of flour or a half a bushel of flour. When we hear like half a bushel, we think, oh, it's just a little bit of flour. But that relates to 22 liters. He had a huge amount of flour. And then in verse 27, he has a seven-year-old bull to offer as a sacrifice. Not only that, but he has 10 servants who help him. Like he... He really had resources. Um, in verse 34, he has a trumpet. When he blows that trumpet, like it's not just a nice little jazzy tune. It's a war cry, and it rallies 30,000 people to join him. So there are resources that he actually had that he only discovered when he came out of that dark place of hiding, when he experienced God's presence. You know, when we live in the shadows and we're content to just um, you know, turn down opportunities and uh, positions that God might offer us, I think we might, we might never see what we're capable of or what we really have in our hand. And, you know, I know there's women listening who are like already walking in their destiny. But um, for those of you listening today who are thinking, I don't have what it takes or I could never lead, I just want to challenge you to come out of hiding. You know, um, there are things in you, resources and skills and talents and gifts that God has placed inside of you that are there. And if you'll just be brave enough to come out of hiding, you're going to find them. <laughs> I so love that. I, I was thinking about that song. Um, it's a song about Moses and, and it goes, what's that you have in your hand? You know, and yeah. he has his, he has, all he has is a staff, you know, it's like, what good is that? But it, God just used that staff over and over and over again. It doesn't have to be all these things. Like, get, I never knew that Gideon had all that stuff. That was a fun, fun right? discovery here with you right now. That's so yeah. cool. So what is, what is step number two? Step number two, and we, actually we talked about this a little briefly, is just address your insecurities. You know, Gideon courageously faced his fear and he brought his doubt and insecurity to God. He laid out those fleeces. And, you know, I know some people give him a hard time about that, but really he's just asking God for confirmation. God, are you sure? Are you sure about me? Are you sure I have what it takes? And like you said, God does not reprimand him. He doesn't, um, he doesn't, scold him at all. God actually answers the question and he brings the confirmation that he's looking for. Um, you know, I think sometimes we are so insecure about our insecurities. <laughs> and if we can just realize like everyone has insecurities and um, not just don't allow it to cripple you. Um, 
No, I remember a couple of years ago having to step into something in my leadership journey and needing to do something I'd never done before. And I was nervous. I was scared out of my mind. You know, I would run from crying in my pillow to hustling to the bathroom to crying to back to the bathroom, you know, all that intestinal distress you get when you're stressed out and worried. Um, And yet I picked up my Bible, like, thank goodness I knew where to go. And it was one of those one year Bibles where, you know, you read the reading for that day. So I just turned to that day and I turned to second Corinthians chapter seven in the message Bible. And it was just so sweet. Um, Paul is saying to the Corinthians in verse eight, I know I distressed you greatly with my first letter, although I felt awful at the time. I don't feel bad now seeing how it turned out. The letter upset you, but only for a while. Now I'm glad, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let (laughs) the distress bring you to God. Isn't that good? Do not drive you from him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like God was speaking. He was exactly to me in that moment. But then this is just such a good promise in verse 10. It says, distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who Mm -hmm. let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it sounds crazy and counterintuitive, but I believe we can actually leverage our insecurities for our good and for our growth Absolutely. if we allow them to drive us mm-hmm. to God. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it's one of the things he loves most about a reluctant leader is that those insecurities are real. And so yeah. when we when we have those feelings, you know, he doesn't have to convince us that we need him. We know already we need him, and that's really helpful. I was thinking, yeah. you know, on uh, all these ways that God speaks to us and the fleece that we lay out and stuff. Sunday morning at church, I had been asking God a question, and before the sermon started, I grabbed my Bible, and I was I was flipping um, just across in my Bible, and I just stopped. I stopped, and I saw Ecclesiastes chapter 9, a couple verses there, real specific, and I just read them, and I was like, wow. And so right under the pastor's name in my notebook and the date, I wrote out the verses from Ecclesiastes chapter Mm -hmm. 9. Well, Mm -hmm. then I started taking notes on the sermon as he started his sermon, and he was in a totally different, you know, he's in Genesis. And and then his second point, that's what his second point was. It referred to those exact verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And this is how God it's how God speaks to us and how he confirms this mm-hmm. is what I'm saying to you. This It's okay for you to ask. It's okay for you to be insecure. I am your security. So go yes. ahead and be insecure. Be secure in me. He loves yeah. that. What's number three? I do too. And, and just asking God for that confirmation. That confirmation right. is what gives us the courage to to keep following God, you know, and I think because Gideon yeah. that got that confirmation when God whittled his army down from 30,000 to 300, <laughs> like he was okay because he had the confirmation. So, um, and that leads right into step number three, which is take your position, you know, and we have realized God really is, he's been preparing us. He's been equipping us, you know, his, our insecurities are not disqualifying us then we can step out of the shadows. And and in chapter seven, verse eight, it says he took his position 
And I just love the confidence of that. Like he knows, like he knows who he is now. Um, it just makes me think of Hebrews 10, 35. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now Gideon is transformed from that guy at the beginning of the story, hiding in the wine press to now leading these people, leading these warriors and being confident in that position. Um, so yeah, take your position. And uh, sometimes I think like I, I want to pout a little bit and think like this is scary and this is hard. And if God is calling me and if this is my destiny, shouldn't it be easy? Do you ever say hmm. that, Marnie? <laughs> I've maybe been beat up enough times that I don't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but uh, no, I, th- I think I think okay. So, but if we're gonna say okay, I'm gonna be an Olympian, therefore I shouldn't ever have to experience any pain. Or if I'm going to be, you know, we, you could just list anything. Yeah. We would never say that about anything. Of course you're going to have to practice and you're going to fall down and you're going to have broken bones and you're going to get sick and you're going to have these things happen to you. Of course. It's just part of the journey. It's part of right. the training. It is. Yeah. Why would we mm-hmm. think that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I actually, I actually, that is kind of my, that is kind of my question for people who, I, I liked uh, Pastor Cole. He was, used to be on uh, Moody Radio uh, uh, Thursday nights, I think it was at 8 o'clock, and he would answer people's questions out of the Bible. And he just knew the Bible inside out, and he was just this amazing, calm, uh, sweetheart man, you know, older man that was just so mentoring and nurturing. Well, this lady called in this one night, and she said, I have to ask you a question about, you know how some people just, for whatever, it's your fault, and you don't have enough faith. Mm. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know people like that. And she said, well, I'm blind. And she said, sometimes people say to me, if you just had enough faith, you would be able to see. And he said, people honestly say that to you? And she goes, yes, Uh, not just you. And he said, really? He said, well, here's what you're going to do. The next time somebody says that to you, he said, oh, do you use a walking stick? And she goes, yeah, I have to because I'm blind. And he said, yeah, right, okay. So the next time somebody says that to you, I want you to just take that stick and I want you to swing it at their legs as hard as you can. And when they are jumping around, screaming in pain, saying, why did you hit me, say, if you had enough faith, that wouldn't hurt. Whoa. (laughs) And I thought, oh, there we go. Because we have this misconception that once we yeah. walk with Jesus, there will never be pain. Everything will be perfect. And that's heaven. That is not earth. That is heaven. Right. And right. here there is trouble and there is yes. training by pain and by consequences and all this. And, you know, I think we get that kind of a little mixed up. But we, you know, we have to take one more break and we're going to come back and talk about five strategies to help you launch other reluctant leaders as well as a proven tool for leadership training. We'll be right back. ready to experience your best life possible and share biblical success principles with others register for the spy coach certification program today spy or spi stands for success principles intensive it's a six-hour online program that equips you to fully comprehend and train biblical success principles you can check it out today over at marnie.com it's available as part of the mentorship program or you can buy it as a standalone certification program Learn more now at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com.
Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we are having such a great time today. Glad you're here with us. Can't have a radio show without listeners, so we're so grateful <laughs> that you're here. And also our guest today, Lynn Marie Sherry of that same name of a website, L-Y-N-N, Marie Sherry, C-H-E-R-R-Y.com. Lynn, let's talk about the five strategies to help you launch other elected leaders. And first of all, maybe just to lay some groundwork for that, um, it is a reality that God often asks leaders to replace themselves, to duplicate, and to um, train people up underneath us. Yes. Yep. And, and, you know, sometimes we look around and we see people like raising their hand saying, put me in charge. Uh, sometimes those people aren't quite ready to be in charge. You know, and sometimes I think God gives, gives us a vision for someone and we see someone and we see their potential and they don't even see it yet. So that's who I really want to speak to, just drawing out those reluctant leaders when you see someone um, who's trying to fly under the radar. <laughs> and uh-huh. so the first one, the first strategy is just to approach them with patience. You know, once you've identified that reluctant leader, um, there's probably a reason why they are reluctant. And if you come in all gang, gangbuster, gangbusters, you know, you, you might just send them running. So move slowly. Um, give them some simple steps. You know, if you just give them one thing, one leadership skill, or uh, just a, a one little risk to take, you know, just a daily step-by-step transformation and have some patience for that journey. Um, the second strategy is to speak to their potential. Sometimes all a reluctant leader needs is for someone to believe in them, um, to someone to say, listen, I see this quality in you. That's a leadership quality. Uh, name those qualities. And better yet, you know, this is hope relates to Habakkuk, you know, write it out, spell it out in a handwritten note this is what I see in you. This is your potential. And um, you can grow into this leadership position. Um, the third strategy is to present the need. You know, when you learn of maybe a vacancy that's coming open in a leadership position, share the opportunity and clarify the particulars, the responsibilities, then explain how you see that person as being suited to meet the need. And then, you know, again, with the patients, give them a little time to process. The fourth strategy is to do a risk assessment together. What happens if they fail? You know, what's the worst case scenario? Sometimes when we hear that worst case scenario, we're like, oh, well, you know, that's not that bad. If I fall flat on my face, I'm still here. Um, Or what happens if they succeed? You know, processing, helping them process through some of those risks. Uh, You know, I really believe that we only discover what we are capable of when we are pushed beyond our perceived limits. You know, and some of us just personality-wise, we are content to just do what we've always done. And then it's only when, you know, we jump out of the nest that we realize, wow, I had no idea. I had wings. (laughs) So I can fly. (laughs) Right. Um, So (laughs) just do, you know, assess those risks, help them process through that. And then the fifth strategy is to provide training. Um, You know, people have the amazing ability to grow and change. 
And if we set them up for success by equipping them with the skills that they need, I mean, that's exactly what God does for us. Just provide training and um, set them up for success. Hmm. Well, let's go back and kind of dissect a few of these. First of all, I want to talk about um, number four. Because do a risk mm-hmm. assessment. I remember, uh, I remember learning that from Bill Gothard, from and Bill that, Gothard. Has that has radically changed how, how, I, how, how I, I'm how able to go I'm forward. Able to go forward. Mm-hmm. And I think about Gideon, think about and, Gideon. And, and maybe it was really God's mercy that he couldn't mercy. see what was going to happen because after, happen. after, you know, he sent all those people home, then they rose up against him and said that he had rejected them and they he shouldn't have done that. Right, right. Yeah, so much I mean, you, incredible you, stuff in that story. Yeah, you couldn't have foreseen that one. I mean, that that, that one was one, really that one was shocking because really God, shocking God didn't God tell him in advance he was going to weed all those people out. Mm-hmm. But he but did actually look at the risk head, head on, and he that's why he put out this many pieces he did. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's so, just helpful to to be able to see all those different scenarios and know that there's not just one right way of doing things. You know, there's always, God is always giving us second chances and there's always a plan B or an alternative. And it just reminds me of even when we're tempted, God always makes a way of escape. I think God is always helping us find our way through and it might not be the most obvious way. Right. Yeah. I love it. I, and again, like you said, in the story of Gideon and all these stories, there's so much. And what's really fun is that when you read them and when you remember them at different points in your journey, that will highlight different things about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So of these five, is there somewhere where you want to camp right now and just dig a little deeper? Dig a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can uh, stick with number five, provide training. Um, I really wanted to be able to share a a tool that has helped me in my leadership journey and something that is just proven across the globe to be a great tool. And um, that is back in 2009, our staff charted a Toastmasters club. You may have heard of Toastmasters International and it's mostly known as a public speaking group. Well, um, when I first heard that our staff was doing it, I'm like, there's no way I am doing that. I don't want to speak in front of people. You know, I just have a stomachache all day. And uh, so I'm like, you know, just deleted all those emails. Well, they sent one more email out. We need 20 people. Here's everyone who's on the list so far. And I saw my husband's name on the list. And I'm like, okay, well, if he's going to do it, then I better do it too. So I signed up for that program. You know, what I discovered wow. is that um, not only do they have a communication track, they also have a leadership track. And so I, um, I was so happy to have a program to follow, you know, and I grabbed a hold of those resources and I just, you know, started working at them. Project one, project two, there's 10 projects in the very first level of leadership And um, I remember completing those 10 projects and then getting a certificate back in the mail that said, Lynn Marie Cherry, competent leader. 
Mm. And just looking at that in like black and white paper and thinking, wait a second, you know, maybe (laughs) I am a little bit reluctant, but I am a leader. And so I just really think that's a great tool for people to use. There's probably one in your community. They're all over the globe. Um, Just toastmasters.org. You can search for a group in your area and I recommend it. it's just a, it's a wonderful community, very uplifting, very encouraging, and you can build your communication skills, but you can also build your leadership skills. And it's been a wonderful tool for me and also for the people that have, I've seen come through our club. Hmm. That's really cool. I didn't even know they had a leadership track. So that's really cool. Um, huh? Another thing, another thing to do is just take your Bible and as you're reading through it in a year or whatever you're doing, to pay attention to, to the leaders that are, the that are in there. And I know mm-hmm. for me, Lynn, know as I've gone through the scripture, I've been at different I've points in my journey, journey, able to relate to almost everybody in there. Everybody. Uh, some part of their some story of their was story just, was just what I needed right then. I needed right then. Yeah. Yeah, you know, actually, um, I wanted to share, if it's okay, one more thing about from Gideon's story, really just mm-hmm. – um, Embracing who you are, the way, just the way God made you with, you know, your insecurities and all. Um, In verse seven of, I mean, in chapter seven of Gideon's story, God sends him down into the enemy camp on a little reconnaissance mission. I don't know if you remember this part, but he's basically, he sneaks up to the enemy tent and he overhears them talking. and, And this is what he hears. A man was telling a dream to his comrade and he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell flat, turned it upside down so the tent laid flat. And his comrade replied, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand. God has given Midian and the whole camp. You know, I love that because I just think That is really where Gideon gets it. And he sees that even though he is a little barley cake, you know, he's not a big giant (laughs) wedding cake. He's not uh, even a really super healthy bran raisin muffin. You know, he's a a rice cake. (laughs) He's like a rice cake. But he sees how one little rice cake, one barley cake can do incredible things. One regular man, one regular woman really is transformed. You know, if we'll just relinquish control and surrender to God and trust him, we are that force to be reckoned with. I love that. I love this little barley cake. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, Lynn, we are almost out of time here, and I want to give you a chance. If someone goes over to your website, lynnmarieterry.com, what will they find there? Oh, hang on just a second. Well, the first thing you're going to see is information about my book. You know, that really is what God has been doing in my life and how he's been using me right now is just to share hope and to share freedom with other people who are struggling with betrayal. You know, betrayal just has a way of pulling the rug out from under you. And um, so they'll find that there information. You can order it on Amazon or there's a link right there at my website. I also blog about mothering 
marriage and moving forward. So it's a great place to go just for encouragement, um, to help you in your mothering, to encourage you in your marriage. There's some links there to the video blogs that I do at affairrecovery.com. And it's a great resource to help you move forward through, help you move through, find a way forward through whatever you're facing. That's great. Well, you guys want to check that out for sure. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been so much fun to have you. You did a great job sharing with us about reluctant leaders and how to boldly step into God's next position for you. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Marnie. It was my privilege. And thank you all for being here. Can't have an afternoon like this without you. I'm so grateful for those of you who come live and for those of you who listen around the site on the um, syndicate stations and on the local players on different sites as well as to the archives. Thank you for coming and thank you for that. And I pray that you will have a lovely rest of your day and we'll see you next time at Marnie's Friends. Take a few moments right after the show and help me out. I am curious who we're missing. So, for example, do you know of any speaker who is missing from WomenSpeakers.com? Do you know of a guest expert who you'd love to hear me interview on Marnie's Friends? Or maybe you know of a major Christian women's event group that is not yet represented over at Women'sEvents.info. Would you just take a moment after the show, swing over to Marnie.com and use the support link at the bottom of any page to recommend her to us. That would be awesome. I thank you for partnering with me in ministry, and God bless your day. difference between working for God and allowing God to work through us. My latest book, Flow Through Vessel, explains how to master the habit of letting God flow through our lives. When we try to do everything good for God, we quickly fail. But when we learn how to allow God to flow His life and love through us, we find strength for the day. Check out this new Bible study resource at www.marnie.com. That's www.marnie.com.